0: Hey there, Intriguers! So uh, we're doing something a little different today. This is this is pretty cool. Uh, I'm about four and a half feet from Intrigue co-founder John Fowler, maybe two and a half uh, from managing editor Jeremy Dicker. We're in Austin, Texas. Great to see you guys. This is pretty cool. This is the first time I've met JD.
1: Yeah. Oh, that 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 enthusiasm is overwhelming. In his defense, he's just got off a 50-hour flight from Australia. So yeah,
2: yeah. How was how was the travel? It's good to be back in America. First time abroad since, since COVID. Um, okay. So yeah, team intrigue, team retreat. A lot of firsts happening. It's cool. Yeah, You've been to Austin, Texas before? Yeah. Yeah. Came here for South by Southwest a few times. So Lovely. During your posting in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Serving in the Australian Foreign Service um, in LA. Someone had to go there. So yeah. if I didn't,
0: who would? We're about T minus uh, two hours from uh, a, a crate, uh, a FedEx truck. Filled with barbecue arriving at the at the Airbnb. So, but you're
1: not excited about that.
0: I'm um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't have to fly. <laughs> I didn't have to fly fifty hours to get it. Uh so I'm I'm sure JD is thrilled. But we're doing something, you know, not only is it exciting to be all together, but we wanted to peel back the curtain a bit this episode. Um we're just past a month from I think what's been one of the most significant geopolit- geopolitical stories of any of our lifetimes uh, that is reshaping the world in ways already that uh, are almost impossible to, pr- to predict from day to day. Covering it is not easy. Um, there are plenty of reasons why. Some having to do with the coverage coverage itself, you know, finding information that's credible. Some having to do with the emotions that's tied up. For ourselves and for our listeners and readers on this issue, Um, so I guess starting from there, uh, both of you have done a lot of writing about this over the past month. I'll start with you, John. Um, How do you how do you feel covering this?
1: Well, I mean, to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit, I'm I'm less involved than both of you are in the day to day. Um, My my, so I'm sort of viewing this from arm's length and more of a strategic sense, um, how I feel about it is that we need to be covering it. We need to be talking about it. We need to be providing what we hope and what we strive to kind of think is balanced. Not, no, balance is a terrible word, just factual straight up and down the line information. Um, because I think now more than ever, particularly on issues like Israel and Gaza, um, maybe to a lesser extent Russia, Ukraine, but these kinds of issues where a lot of people have a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings. My view as kind of the co-founder who's not on it every day is that we need to be talking about it and then it's up to you guys with everybody's help to figure out how to do that best.
0: What does the word, uh, uh, something that we strive for that a lot of news organizations strive for is objectivity. Yeah. What? In an aspirational sense, is that possible here?
1: No, no. I I have never thought that. Um, You know, I I think I'm I'm a lawyer by background, and the whole design of Western legal systems is that objectivity isn't possible. So you should argue both sides and sort of land somewhere in the middle. Um, You know, we don't argue both sides because that's not what our publication does. But I think if you if you think that objectivity is possible, you very quickly lie to yourself about your own views. So I think what we try to do, and JD, you can speak to this, you know, more on the tools than I can, is, you know, maybe maybe the way to frame it is to pull as much emotion out of it as you can, to to not use flowery language or to use descriptive language that portrays a position or a feeling, um, and just say what you think is happening and what it means. Now, it's not objective because none of us are objective. That's impossible, but at least you're trying hard not to be, um, you know, again, emotional and, and, and you're not, you're not trying to convey how people should feel. You're telling them what you think and what happened and then let them know how they feel.
0: I want to just underscore before turning turned to, to JD, something that you've been, um, I guess, I guess frustrated by And, and just to emphasize, the the reporters on the ground the people covering this we like to think are are doing so in large part in in good faith but what have you found frustrating about the coverage of this issue elsewhere
1: so i think that's a really good point i i have lots of criticisms of the mainstream media but one of them is not that most people aren't working as hard as they can to do the best work that they can i i think they make Lots of mistakes for lots of reasons. We don't need to go into them, but they're doing their best. So it's a great point. What I found frustrating is, uh, I think there is. It, it, it's interesting when you're on this side of, you know, for most of our lives, all of us, we've been on the other side. We've been consumers of news. JD and our former careers as diplomats, we, we kind of like reported on facts, but it was for a closed loop of people and a very different kind of vibe. What I've found frustrating, I think, putting this stuff out into the open is how many people want you just to tell them what they want to hear. And I think a lot of media organizations probably fall into that trap a little bit too much. Some explicitly, some, you know, some, we won't mention any, but some news organizations basically are built on telling people what they want to hear and making them feel good, reducing that cognitive dissonance in people's lives. That's not what we do, and, and uh, you know cognitive dissonance on these kinds of issues, holding two ideas, three, five, ten ideas in oh, your head yeah.
0: way more than that yeah. oh, nice. all of the ideas all of the ideas. in your head at the
1: same time is, is how you get the closest to figuring out what's going on, so I think if yeah, to answer your question, the most frustrating thing is, I think too many news organizations don't strive they run away from complexity because it's hard jD turn into you
0: i know this I know this issue makes you uncomfortable is that is that a fair word to use i don't want to mischaracterize it's a fair yeah i think it's a fair word i mean just maybe
2: taking one step back to continue john john's point um, about giving people what they want and that we need to cover this like yes we need to cover this and yet our data like you know in the intrigue world suggests that people also want us to cover this um like anytime we put the word israel or gaza in our email subject heading our open rate like spikes right like people like okay i definitely am going to read this one i want to hear what intrigue says so in a sense we're we're doing it because we think we need to and it's the right thing but also uh, pure 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 economics yeah (laughs) supplying where there is demand a cold-blooded um economic decision as well yeah but yeah your question like me specifically feeling uncomfortable at this yeah i mean i i um Oh, so many ways you go about this, but I mean, I remember um, my first posting in the Australian Foreign Service was to Mexico, and you know, any good junior diplomat makes friends with with journalists, right? And John made friends with with one who ended up mentioning a quote of his in a in a book that just came out about China, which is so cool to see. Um, which you would have got in
1: so much trouble if it had been published while you were still in the I, Foreign I Service. Know, and he, I had left, and he said, "Is this okay to put it in?" And I, I like thought about it, and I was like,
2: "Yeah." <laughs> Yeah, for it, for yeah. them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I remember making friends with some of the journalists who were in Mexico City and one of them um, was was the bureau chief, for one of the like the big, big um, newspapers who had previously been the bureau chief for that same newspaper in Israel. And I just was like, man, that must have been a like a tough gig, like writing about that part of the world to an audience that has very strong opinions an audience in the U S one of the big coastal cities that has strong opinions about that, that, part of the world. Like how, like how the hell do you do that? Um, cause I remember thinking the same thing in the foreign service, getting posted to that part of the world. It's tough to write about it in a way that doesn't get you written off by important people as oh, Well, that guy's just, you know, he's pro X or pro Y. Um, and, and he, he straight away knew what I was getting at and what my question was getting at. Um, and he had an answer ready to go, which is like, well, the joke is among all the bureau chiefs is that we just remove adjectives from our reporting and we just write the most, most um, flat, descriptive stuff, which is not why they wanted to be journalists, but that's what they do to survive. And partly, I think we have had to do that as well, like because part of our DNA at Intrigue is we write irreverent, direct. Just like we're talking to each other, or just like we're writing on our classified system in the foreign service, where you can say stuff that's maybe a bit outrageous and not get in trouble. Um, but we we shouldn't and can't really do it as much on some topics, and this is definitely one of those topics. So we've sort of been writing about this more, but had to sacrifice not all, but some of our DNA um, in that decision. Let me let me uh, push back. Let
0: me speak up for uh, a, a different subset of potential readers here, who might say. You're letting us down. We, we want answers. There is, uh, uh, you are failing to deliver on uh, a set of ethical principles that is required of good journalism to describe the world, not just in a factual way, but in the way that it is or the way that it should be. Uh, are we letting our
2: readers down? That's, that's such a good point. Um, that goes to a deeper point, which is what's different about this conflict, right? Because we speak very frankly about what we think about Azerbaijan, Armenia, about China and Taiwan. Although not as frankly as people like we're we're careful to breathe strategic empathy into everything we write. Right. We're like, okay, we're we're democrats and we care about like in the democratic right. sense, not in the political sense. Small D. Yeah. yeah. Um and so like we're, you know, we it's clear the the basic values that we hold, but we we're not just going in there to just dunk on countries and dunk on decisions. We try to think things through and let people reach their own conclusions as well. But yeah, I mean, your question why are we holding why are we holding our tongue on this, but not or this more than the other one is goes to the question of why is this any different, and that is like um, there's all kinds of ways we could go there. But I mean, I mean, in in a pure numbers sense, I mean, the population of Israel is is, is nine million, population of Gaza is two million. Um, so in a purely population sense um and it's far away from most of our readers like it's far away from folks in most in,
1: people will never go
2: yeah most people will never go um and have no direct connection there so it's a small conflict right smaller than other ones going on in the same region like you know pakistan just kicked out literally you know 1.6 million afghans um iran's doing the same thing um so there's a bigger number um decisions but um don't generate the same Um, level of frustration I think you know I mean we're talking about Jerusalem Um, we're talking about Israel we're talking about the Abrahamic faiths um, that uh, whether you know no matter what faith or lack of faith background you you bring to this um, that tradition that philosophical um, ideological um, spiritual decision built the the bedrock of our entire civilization like um, for much of the world today um, the way we think about right and wrong, the way we think about, you know, deep, deep philosophical questions. So I think that is a big part of it. We're, we're talking about a part of the world that that reaches deep into the core of how
0: we see ourselves as people yeah. and, and what we're doing here. People have been competing, uh, vying for control of the city of Jerusalem for thousands of years. I, you know, as someone who's been to Jerusalem and experienced Uh, this very novel thing called Jerusalem syndrome. I'll tell a a, a quick story when I I was... I haven't heard of this. Jerusalem syndrome is... It's a real thing. Uh, When I was eight years old, I visited Israel for the first time. And uh, it is the uh, impression that some visitors get that they are the Messiah. Uh, So there's a place called the Lion's Gate where in uh, the Abrahamic faiths, um, at least in Judaism... Uh, the Messiah will come and unlock this gate that's impossible to open. And when I went to Jerusalem for the first time as an eight-year-old boy, I was climbing the gate. Five minutes or so passed until some IDF soldiers told me to get down. Um, but I was convinced that I could open this gate. Uh, so
1: yeah, there is so just at this. Eight, you kind of had a, a dose of reality. Like, <laughs> I did. I did. I,
0: and and you know, when you consider where I started as an eight-year-old boy with Jerusalem syndrome. Now, uh, a podcast host, not much has changed, (laughs) in my my high opinion of myself. Um, Let's take a quick break, but more questions to come after this. Today's episode is sponsored by What Could Go Right. Listen, we all know the news headlines are full of wild stories, like how the world is tipping towards authoritarianism, all while somehow, simultaneously, freezing, flooding, and on fire. It's a lot to take in. That's why you should listen to What Could Go Right, an acclaimed news podcast from our friends at The Progress Network. They dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from geopolitics to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future. Check out the link in the show notes to feel more hopeful. So, John, you know, we have been covering this war for a month, but there's another war that's been going on for well over a year, uh, coming up on what? Uh, it was like almost, 18, 18 almost 19, 20 months. 20 months, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in February 2022, your uh, intrigue was in its early days um, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Mm-hmm. What felt different about covering that conflict?
1: Um, well, I think what you guys have already been talking about, which is like, there's a ton of different, I hate this word, but stakeholders in in the Israel-Gaza situation. You know, we've talked about them. There are, ver- there are fewer, not, not none. There are lots of Ukrainian populations around the world and, you know, people people have visited. But it, it, it doesn't hit home or doesn't touch as many cultural touch points, I think, for most people. So the first thing is like, I think a lot of people viewed it much more starkly as a war. Rather than a, whatever you want to impress, uh, like, you know, imprint on to the Israel situation. You talked about religion, you know, there's diasporas, but with Russia and Israel, uh, Russia and Ukraine, it just seemed very much like a, I hate to say it, an old fashioned World War Two era bad guys rolling across the border because they want to expand their lands and, you know, we've been here before. So there was that, uh, there was that initial.
0: Did you grapple at all with the morality? Uh, Did you try to understand the Russian position? I mean, we, we can sit here now and and say pretty clearly that the three of us uh, find the Russian invasion perhaps reprehensible. Well, of Uh, course. Yeah, absolutely. So did you, did you try to understand that in the same way that we might, you know, let me, let me just to take a step back. I, I think that it would be a tremendous failure not to understand how the the conditions were created for something like the seventh of October to happen.
1: Yeah, I think you've answered your own question. It is that you you I I think everybody. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. I'm very clear on what I think about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and I think it's I think it's a fact that it is it was a piece of naked aggression by a guy who you know wants to rewrite history and recreate the Russian Empire. So it's a bad thing. Ukraine has a right to defend itself, but that's kind of not interesting, I don't think, because that's that's just a really like if you don't agree with that, then I don't have much to say to you. If you want to get on Twitter and and you know talk about how Ukraine was full of Nazis, then fill your boots. That's free speech, but like I, we're not for you, and I'm not going to listen to you. So you're working from a playbook of like that's the facts. You under I tried to understand in those days the Russian thinking behind it, and you know I I did boy it was it was, it was like difficult. In, in a sense, because I, I went and read a lot of whatever I could in English. And I have a friend, Dmitry, who some folks will know, who I podcast with, who's who's Ukrainian, who speaks Russian, and translated a lot of source documents off Telegram from some of those clowns in the east of, east of Ukraine, you know, running the militias. Because I wanted to understand what they thought they were doing. Not because I was like, oh, good point, but like, what's next? What, like, where, what, what's the goal here? How long will this happen? Like, to, to understand the factual things on the ground and what might be coming rather than to understand how they feel. Cause I don't, you know, I don't care. Like it was the morality, is, the morality is clear. I think that's one big difference to this conflict. I, you know, we talked at the start and I think JDU and I've talked about it as well as like, there's a natural reticence to talk about Israel, Gaza, because it's just, I mean, it's just a so complicated, everybody has a view. Everyone has a stake or well, a lot of people have a stake. I don't particularly have a stake. I'm not Jewish. I haven't been there. I have a fear of talking about it in a way. Um but I you don't have that in Russia and Ukraine because you know you of course you've got to educate yourself on not in the western world. Right. which where which, which is where we come from. Right. And of course you got to do your edge. You got to do your homework so you you're not a clown about it. But I didn't feel um I hate the word unsafe, but I didn't feel uh, like I didn't feel like I couldn't yeah, I didn't feel like I couldn't say what I wanted. So I was a, I mean another point another point that was different too is like I used Twitter like, liberally during the early days of Russia's invasion because experts were just, it was just a goldmine of people who really knew what they were talking about, from military experts to Russian history experts to Ukrainian, like, mentality experts to Soviet, you know, all of, everyone was just basically pouring out their expertise on Twitter. That's not the case anymore <laughs> because we all know. Um, so, like, you, you educate yourself and then you write And then I remember very very clearly getting feedback. We were a lot smaller then than we are now, but we got a lot of feedback, um, proportionally a huge amount of feedback, just saying it's really nice to have a place where I get the facts laid out of what happened, what someone said about it, why they, why we should listen to them, what's going to happen next. Um, and I think we still try to do that, but it's probably a little bit harder with this one.
0: JD, turning turning back to you as our resident empath, no, no offense, John. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, how do we get out of this? I mean, uh, we we talked before we pressed the record button about protests, counter-protests across the Western world, across the global South, everywhere. I mean, there is so much. uh, It's such a divisive issue for all the reasons we've described. Where where next?
2: Uh, uh, um, You know, it's hard to see that far ahead, to be honest. I think where... you know, we're still making like day-to-day editorial decisions about how we write about what's going on right now, um, and even like just thinking about what you and John were just talking through. Right in in the first twenty-four hours, right when the attack was happening, and I remember we were talking on Slack among our team about like, you know, it's obviously we're gonna have to cover this. How do we cover it? And one of the earliest things we said was we weren't going to use the word "inevitable" to describe. The seventh of October. I remember um, that because, like, and for me, I just found it. um, I mean, it was just so depraved what what that attack entailed, and to suggest that that was in any way inevitable uh, just does all kinds of things. I mean, it it robs people of agency. Exactly, you're you're Uh, actually being
1: more factual by removing that. I I think there'd be probably a lot of people who do feel they have that position that it was, but that, that, that is a, an emotional slash, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm not weighing in on whether it's right or wrong, but it, but it isn't a factual position, right? No. Because it wasn't inevitable because they could, it, they, they did, they didn't have to do it. It wasn't like when you drop a ball, it falls to the ground because of laws of physics. It wasn't.
2: It was, it was planned methodically over a long time. There was nothing inevitable about it. Um, Looking at the context and the, Players, you could say it was foreseeable, which I think is a word that you use, John, exactly. which I, I agree with. Um, but also, it was it, to say that um, it was inevitable um, is also just inaccurate. When you look at other parts of the world at other times in history, are there examples of folks who have um, secured more rights or more freedoms without doing those kinds of depraved acts? The answer is yes. Um, so, so like right away, twenty-four hours into this story, we were already thinking through like single words that people were throwing around liberally and all that they entailed, um, having to wrestle with and it. And terrorists, in
1: you, we were talking earlier about we we, we yeah, choose the not word to terrorist.
2: Use. Yeah, we have used the word um, terrorist, but and no one's pulled, no one's said anything to us about it either way, which has been cool. But like, folks might be aware that, for example, in the United Kingdom there's been this huge debate about why the BBC doesn't use the word terrorist. And they'll say like, oh, Hamas fighters went in and did this and did that. And it's it's sort of something that we've not got involved in ourselves. But um, one of the reasons, so like, I mean, Hamas is, you know, in most of the countries where folks are listening to this and most of the countries where folks read our newsletter, um, Hamas is a prescribed terrorist organization. Yeah. And if what they did on the 7th of October is not a terrorist enactment, then, then I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. But we, we, the reason why we don't insert the word terrorist uh, as an adjective um, or a noun um, every time we're talking about this story isn't because it's not a terrorist organization, but because it's redundant using that word. Um, and we, like John and Helen um, and all of us, have built this from the notion that we want to write for everyone the same way that we write for someone like the prime minister of our country or the foreign minister. These are smart people who um, don't have a lot of time. And so you don't just go casually adding in words to like make some political point. Like the prime minister of Australia knows that Hamas is a terrorist organization. doesn't need to be reminded every time he reads mm-hmm. the brief. So that's, for example, um, an example of why we, we don't,
1: yeah.
2: because we, it's redundant, not
0: because yeah. it's not true. I, I want to just focus on one thing you said right at the beginning there, returning agency to the actors. And, and that's important to do, uh, retrospectively, you know, a, applying agency to their previous actions and it creates agency for them going forward. I mean, we, we hear things like inevitable is a word you use. Uh, we hear uh, phrases like the cycle of violence. Um, BB, you know. Yeah, uh, it's a good one too. Leaders, leaders in the past have, have used phrases like we have no other choice but to respond uh according to on both sides too on, right of course yeah.
1: of course i i mean privately i've been advocating to friends and i'm yeah i'm not sure if i should say this but like um, um and how amazing would it be and this is a personal opinion be clear about that if israel had chosen to turn the other cheek on this so like grieve publicly use their spy agency their special operations to you know do all that
2: spend the next decade that like getting like hunting people them that down do this. Yeah. that kind
1: of like we're gonna get you but it might take a while but not not again perpetuated what i agree with you is a bit of a myth or at least takes away the agency but perpetuate that cycle like wouldn't it wouldn't that have been incredible yeah
0: would have whether it was politically feasible well, but, but, but,
1: but that's exactly what you're getting to right and that's our i mean we're not we don't have any grandiose uh, you know ideas about being a you know influential or anything like that but it's like but Political views start with how people think about these things. And too many media organizations do use those words because they have time poor. It's a tough industry. They don't think this stuff through. And then people who work jobs who don't have the time to think through this, they, they consume that news. They hear cycle of violence. It becomes part of the lexicon. And you just go, oh, we got attacked. Well, we obviously have to go and attack back. Yeah. And, if you're, and if you're more careful, that's why these words matter. It's why this thought matters. Because if you start to be like, you know, this happened. Let's think about the response, if that's the kind of default emotional reaction maybe maybe you can actually stop that Absolutely. response cycle
0: yeah I mean so we've you know we've we've talked constantly about how extremists have hijacked this issue on on both sides um in Israel and palestine and, and it's incumbent on uh, us back home you know in in the u s Australia, wherever you're listening to this from to try to silence those voices um and and to try to Arrive at a more sensible, empathetic place. I mean, John, any final yeah, reflections? Yeah,
1: like I think, I think you know, I think Jeremy and I have pretty reticent to kind of talk inside baseball like this. It feels very indulgent to talk about why what we're doing matters or doesn't matter or whatever. But um, we might put in the show notes a clip from the Daily Show when John Stewart was running it back. Must have been about a decade ago now. Um, when he goes to, and I think he, in, in the way that he communicates, where he just manages to convey the exact issue that he's facing in, in a hysterical skit, he sits at the desk and he goes, um, and today in Israel, Palestine news, and all of his correspondents pop up behind his desk and start screaming all the different views. And he just goes, Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and like, that's how we felt. Right. Um, and I, I just feel like we have a ro- like we, we, we got to keep talking about it because I, I like to think. We talk about it in a sensible way and we need more people doing that. So,
0: Thanks both. Uh, And and if you like this uh, more casual style of conversation, uh, we're doing this every month at the Diplo Club. So if
1: you refer five people. With a few more uh, beers though on the Diplo Club, so you have to be a bit more resilient. Yes, (laughs) yes. It's it's a,
0: a, a sidewinder of a conversation. So if you like this style, refer five people to international intrigue and you can get more of this sort of conversation. But thanks both.